Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Ginger C., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Colorado. Today is Monday, December 18th, and today we are reading from the big book. We're on page four, the third paragraph. We went to live with through two paragraphs ending, which renewed my wife's hope, and we will be commenting on both of these paragraphs. Today's readers are Stacey T. for the 12 Steps, Mary Ellen B. for the 12 Traditions, and our readers of the text are Kathleen O., Christine M., and Sherry K.B. The reference number for this morning's uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting was 10,810. So again, this morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 10810. And yesterday's Sunday, December 17th special edition was 10,808. Again, 10808. So the OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone and who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Stacy T. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Thank you for your service. This is Stacy T. calling from Cleveland, Ohio. <clears throat> the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. I pass. Great. Thank you for your service, Stacey T. I will now ask Mary Ellen B. to read the Twelve Traditions. 
Good morning. This is Mary Ellen B. in Florida. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I'll pass. Great. Thank you, Mary Ellen B., for your service this morning. So how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, and then we stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderator is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So again, today we are resuming in the big book. We're on page four. We're on the third paragraph we went to live with. We'll be reading through two paragraphs ending, which renewed my wife's hope. And we will be commenting on both of these paragraphs. And now I will ask Kathleen O to begin the reading. Good morning. Thank you, Ginger. Thank you for your service this morning. This is Kathleen O. Recovered in Northern California. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as the result, as the result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. 
My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A a tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. So again, this is Kathleen O. in Northern California. And, excuse me, you know, here we have, we see the progression of the disease and the progression of a disease that destroys everything in its path. So, you know, Bill was, he was a brilliant, intelligent, charismatic, accomplished, highly motivated individual, but his life is destroyed when he's under the influence of alcohol. And, you know, he had to drink. Um, He drank because he had to drink. And he had these God-given strengths and talents, but they were just all channeled into self-destruction. And, you know, that we see that out there in the world with a lot of addicts, and I certainly saw it with myself. And, you know, Bill just continues to spiral down to the depths of despair. And the, you know, the, I love the sentence, I still thought I could control the situation. There were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. And this is the cunning, baffling, and powerful part of this disease. Um, you know, Bill drank because he had to drink. I ate because I had to eat. I couldn't cope without food. I, you know, I, life was, life, life's challenging sometimes. And even when it's not, I just couldn't cope. And I had to have food. And I would eat and get to the point that I was so unbearably miserable and uncomfortable that I'd white knuckle a diet and I'd lose weight. And then I would think I could control it. And the cunning, baffling, powerful part is I would control it, sometimes for a day, maybe even a week. And, and then I'd think, see, I can do this. But, you know, I'd have a thought because with, with addiction, there's that crazy amnesia. There's that mental blank spot where it's like, you know, I, I would forget everything. I would forget the misery. I would forget everything. And I would, I would eat. And, and then I'd be on a downward spiral again. And I just, you know, I couldn't figure it out. I knew, I knew food was running my life, but I just couldn't figure it out. And, you know, if, if divorce were more popular in the 30s, I think Lois probably would have taken a hike. Um, that must have been so humiliating um, to have a husband where, you know, she had to go to work, which wasn't that common in the 30s, and um, go back and live with parents, their parents. Um, I give that woman a lot of credit, and I'm glad she didn't leave him because I don't know if we'd all be here and there wouldn't be Al-Anon maybe. I don't know. But, um, but you know, the main problem um, with Bill and was in his mind, and he was powerless, and he's going to figure that out, and that was my main problem. You know, I have, to, I have to remember that I'm powerless over this, and, you know, thank goodness for this meeting and these 12 steps and the fellowship um, because I don't have to live that way anymore. I don't have to be miserable, and and I don't have to white knuckle anything anymore. You know, I I uh, I can contently, happily um, live life and live through challenges and not have to eat over it. And thank you, I pass. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Oh, what a great share. 
So again, just a reminder, we are on page four. We're on the third paragraph. We went to live with, and we're going to go through, we went through two paragraphs, ending which renewed my wife's hope. And we commented, you can comment on both of those paragraphs. And this is the fun part for me, so hopefully I'll hear those last initials and the names. But if you could just please state your name one time. It, it gives me a better chance of hearing you. And then be respectful of those trying to also get on. So who would like to begin this morning? Laura W. Roz G. Carol K. Marcy D. Sylvia F. Okay, so what I've Okay, so what I've heard, we'll stop right there. I have Barbara E, Roz G, Carol K, Marcy D, Sylvia F, and Carrie, I did not get your first initial to your last name. S. Carrie S is in Sam? Yes. Okay, well, that's a great lineup for this morning. So I think I got the names. So let's start with Barbara E. with Roz G. on deck. Barbara, star one to unmute. All right, well, Barbara's having a little... Technical difficulties. Let's see if Roz G's there, and then Barbara, if you get on the line, we'll put you behind Roz. Roz, are you there? Yes. My Fantastic. This is, this is Roz G. I am a compulsive overeater in Los Angeles County. I'm with my dog, so you may hear a bark. But what I'd like to say is that um, I can relate to being poor, you know. Um, as it says here, Bill went to live with his wife's parents, and you know, although I didn't live with my mother, I lived on welfare. And the only thing, you know, with welfare, you don't get too much. You can pay your bills, kind of, and maybe a clothing item every couple of months. And then there's a lot of food stamps. So I got to support me and my um, my habits and my family with food stamps. So... Oh, the really only excitement in my life was eating. And then I belonged to this church where eating was a major part of the fellowships. So I basically stayed home and cooked and ate what I cooked and everybody else's plate when they were finished. Um, and I remember uh, after church, I would eat Lee cake, whether it was frozen or not, you know, after church, piling the chocolate, double chocolate cake in my mouth because I couldn't get enough of it. So <clears throat> I just, you know, just wanted to say that I can relate to not having or parallel it to not having very much else than grocery store shopping with food stamps and eating and not really having much creativity or um, fun in my life. The fun that I had was food. And um, I guess otherwise I'd be babbling. So with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks so much, Roz. And Barbara, are you on the line? Okay, I may not have heard Barbara's name. So we'll go on to Carol K. And uh, behind Carol, we'll have Marcy D. Carol? Hi, this is Carol K. Can I be heard? 
You sure can. Hi, thanks. Uh, this is Carol Kay, recovered uh, compulsive overeater in New Jersey. Um, you know, I can relate to Lois. She was working a rear end off while uh, Bill is sitting home just drinking. And, you know, that was my husband. He was working his rear end off. I mean, I was too. We had seven kids. I was taking care of the kids. But besides the point, he'd be working like 60, 65 hours a week. And here he'd come home, zero balance in a checkbook. This was all the time. Why? Because I even got the restaurants in my neighborhood to take checks from me. Okay? So there I was every day doing my takeout food, and it reminds me so much of, of Bill and Lois, uh, of myself and my husband, um, only with, with the food when it came to me. And uh, we were miserable. We were living in holy hell. It was just hell, hell on earth. Uh, we resented each other because, of course, in my addiction, when, I, when I'm in my addiction, um, it's everybody else's fault. I take zero responsibility for myself. And then here, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Yep, that's why the water got shut off. That's why my mortgage wound up being three months behind. You know, it started when my mortgage was a month behind. And then I said, well, I know I got three months because my sister was in banking. And she told me they don't stop foreclosure until three months. So I played around with this thing. And I said, I got this. Yeah, okay, really? Nope, because it's a progressive disease. And this is what this sentence is telling me. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became necessity. So before you know it, yep, it was starting foreclosure. It did hit three months. And then I just want to share on the last sentence. There were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. And for my family, every time I went on a diet, like I went on um, this diet where you go and you sit and you have a counselor and they give you buy the food. And, and I did great for a whole year. So I thought because I lost over 100 pounds. But I played with that. I'd weigh in on. Fridays, so that this way on the weekend I could binge and then work real hard and from Monday to Thursday. And then when I weighed in Friday, I still lost a pound or two. So I was manipulating the food. I manipulated the diet. You know, and all I could say is the only thing that ever worked for me were the 12 steps. Uh, thanks for letting me share with that up there. Great. Thank you so much. Next we have Marcy D. Hi, my name is Marcy D, a compulsive overeater from Northern California. And the sentence that really stands out for me is liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity. And that's what food was like for me. Um, it wasn't a matter of, gee, this would be nice to have. It was like having to have it late at night going out on runs to stores to gather the goods. I had to have it. I didn't feel that I had a choice. It did not feel that way. And um, it's like it's like anybody could have stood in my way. You know, I remember when I was married, my husband trying to convince me not to do something with food and I would just say, get out of my food, get out of my food, get away from me. And the craving was so immense that all I knew is that I would mow anyone down in order to get to that alcoholic food of mine. And I was miserable. Last night, I was at a restaurant, and when I was leaving the restaurant, I saw at another table that someone had left 
some of my uh, some some of their food that would have been a binge food of mine, and I wouldn't have left any. And I remembered the times when I would pass tables with people left food on it, and I'd do a brief look around to see if anyone was watching, and I would just scoop it up and put it in my purse or put it in a napkin and walk out. It's like, I I didn't know if anyone had trichinosis or anything else like that. It didn't matter. I had to have my fix. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Marcy D. So next up is Sylvia F. followed by Carrie S. Good morning, visionaries, and good morning, Ginger. This is Sylvia F., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in San Francisco Bay. Great um, passages here showing the, the downward progression of Bill's disease. And, you know, my heart goes out to Bill, and I thank God that he had this downward progression and was able to share it um, so that I didn't have to live here forever either. You know, so it's, it, it shows the, the suffering that he had, you know, where he says he hardly drew a sober breath and, and, um, and, he, and the shame and, and, and embarrassment of, you know, he, here he was, had been high at the brokerage places and now he's turned into unwelcome hanger on. You know, and all that shame and embarrassment wasn't enough to make him stop. Uh, just like me, I was so ashamed to be me. I was ashamed to be in my body. I was ashamed um, to show up. And uh, and I was ashamed for my children. I was ashamed for my husband. It didn't matter. I could not stop. Um, even though he says periods of sobriety, I still thought I could control the situation. And that's, you know, every time I... I, I tried to diet. I was never a good dieter. Uh, so, um, I remember one time I uh, joined Weight Watchers and I was really going to do it this time. We had an event and I wanted to be thinner for this event. And uh, and so uh, I was following it and I went in and weighed one day and I hadn't lost any weight. And I came home and I just sobbed. And my husband was trying to placate me, etc. And I thought, this is, ha-, you know, when I think back, how crazy it was living with me and all the food food things that I, my family had to live with, um, whether, depending on what day of the week and what I was trying to do. And, um, you know, the, the bottom line that I read here is that, uh, you know, we're reminded of this twofold illness. He He had this physical allergy, which I have, you know, where... I had to have it. I had to have it. And for me, it was definitely sugar. Had to have it. Even if he had given it up, though, we have this obsession of the mind. You know, this doctor's opinion that allies is obsession of the mind. So I could have been, you know, on a diet for a month, six months, and pretty soon I'm picking up again, which shows that it's the disease in my mind. And what this also says to me, and it was my experience, is that he, Bill had to escape life. He had to escape his mind. He had to escape the reality of living. And, you know, his, his addiction was alcohol and uh, mine was food, specific foods and specific food behaviors. And I, I wasn't comfortable being with myself. Uh, he, Bill wasn't home, comfortable being with himself without a drink, without a lot of drinks. 
And the 12 steps allows me, I feel so different. I'm okay just being by myself in my own mind. I don't have to be in action, seeking out others, seeking food. What a gift. So if you're new on the line, you know, we're talking about, you know, the desperation that makes us willing to do the work. Mm. And when we do the work, we get the promises. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia F. And next up is Carrie S. Good morning, Ginger. This is Carrie S. Recovered in Colorado. So grateful for your service. So we're talking about Bill's story and what the directions of the big book mean to me this morning. Um, this this helps me ask how how low did I need to slide in the progression of my illness because I see here Bill having to live with his wife's parents and that the definitely shame and embarrassment for Bill here and uh, that he lost his job for me I wasn't recontracted as a Montessori teacher after nine years of working and it was one of the lowest spots of my, um, my illness. And um, through Bill's story, uh, the big book is telling me, helping me to fully understand the nature of my illness. Otherwise I will forget that my eating disorder is an illness, which over which I cannot possibly have any power. And then I've been taught through reading Bill's story that our disease is progressive and, and that's how it was for me, was uh, this downward slide. Um, and so I've also been taught that our recovery is just as progressive and that if I can get into the big book and I can understand and I can identify in as opposed to choosing door number two, which is I'm not like you, I'm unique, my disease is different than you, and that's identifying out. So I thank God I chose door number one because I didn't know how to cope without the food, without that effect that the food gave me. And so today I'm just grateful to continue to, to seek help through working the steps. And, and if you're new out there and you are at your bottom, then I, I, just, I just thank God that you're still here and that you keep coming back because that's what it takes. It takes for us to be at our bottom and to ask, you know, how low do I need to slide before I get help. Um, and this story shows me what it's like having that mental obsession with my drug of no choice. So grateful, Ginger, for your service. And with that, I pass. Great. Thank you so much, Carrie S. I missed my Colorado peeps. Um, anyway, so we are going to reopen the line for a second set of sharing and a gentle reminder to please just say your name one time so I have a better chance of hearing you. And if you could... Press star one to unmute. Um, we're on page four. We're on the third paragraph. We went to live with. We read through two paragraphs ending, which renewed my wife's hope, and we commented on both of these this morning. And who would like to begin the second lineup? Elizabeth Kelly. Kelly. Okay, so I only had a few names that I heard. I will let, I heard Elizabeth, I don't have a last initial. I heard Sherry KB and I heard Wendy M. John K. 
John K. Janet B. Was that Janet? Yes. Okay, Janet B., I believe. Yes. Okay, perfect. Let's uh, stop with that lineup because it might just take us right to the top of the hour. So, Elizabeth, um, you'll need to give me your last your initial to your last name. I didn't get that. But we have Elizabeth, Sherry KB, Wendy M., John K., Janet B. And, Elizabeth, you will begin. Thank you. Um, thank you. Can I be heard? Yes. Hello? Um, yes, I can hear yes, you. My, okay. My name is Elizabeth D., as in Donald. I live in the Boston area, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, yeah, this is a, a, a harrowing paragraph um, or set of paragraphs, and um, I identify in uh, 100%. And I have heard so many great things on the line, and I'm so grateful to everyone for their service and sharing and doing service to make sure this meeting is possible and available to me so I can constantly be reminded um, of uh, the nature of my illness. Um, I have a very clear memory of the day I went back into relapse. It was um, it was last summer, the summer before last, and I was having lunch with um, close friend, two close friends, and my daughter. My daughter was 14 at the time, and she's she watched me come in and out of the food over the course of 10 years, uh, gain weight, lose weight. Um, gain weight, lose weight, and she knows the difference between mommy abstinent and uh, mommy not abstinent. And um, at this lunch, um, our friends were ordering, and I was ordering, and I just decided I'm normal. I can have X, Y, Z, one of my alcoholic foods. And my daughter looked at me with horror in her face, and she started to balk. She started to speak openly in front of people, loudly in the restaurant, saying, Mom, you're not supposed to eat that. You are not supposed to eat that. And I was torn between my, my all-consuming love for this child and my more-consuming need for the food. It was not a choice. I had to have this. And so I, I got up and I said, Emily, come with me. So I thought I would neutralize the problem by neutralizing her speech and take her aside and say, it's going to be okay, hon. I'm going to be fine. She would have nothing of it. You can't eat that, mom. And it went on for about five minutes. You can imagine the embarrassment. The people that we were eating lunch with were wondering what was going on. And I was humiliated uh, by myself. I, was, I felt horrible for my poor daughter who was afraid for me, and I understand why. So I so relate to the shame, the degradation, um, the impact on, on the people that we love most. This is a disease, you know, it said earlier, and I'll end with this, it, earlier in Bill's story he talked about that, that alloy of drink and speculation, which in combination uh, turned around and cut like a boomerang and cut me to threads. I mean, that is really what the food is for me, uh, my alcoholic foods. And I am so grateful today that there's a place where I can go and hear my story over and over again. Um, because without hearing my story over and over again, I will forget. 
and my recovery depends on service and identification in. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Elizabeth D. So next is Sherry KB, followed by Wendy M. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Cynthia. This is Sherry KB in Northern California. A very grateful recovery compulsive a reader. Thank you so much for your service and everybody on the line and welcome newcomers. And you know, this is about the progression of the disease. It's it's really starting to get bad. And um, you know, we've been taken through the beginning and now we're at the progression of the disease. And what this reminds me of is when it says liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity. You know, I, I would I had this ego, such an ego that I would fool around with the food thinking I knew I could handle it. And then it did become a necessity and not a luxury any longer. And I that that thought of how that that change occurred so quickly gives me the cringes. I mean, it just the thought of it. Oh, because I, I've had so many of those times where it it ceased to be a luxury and it became a necessity. And it, it was fun in the beginning, and I was you know I had all this fantasy about it, and then it became a necessity because I became a slave to it. You know, it became my god. And that just gives me the creeps, um, really does. And I've had times in my life like that, and I never want to have them again, and I don't think I ever will as long as I'm doing this work this way um, because I still thought I could control the situation. Um, and, you know, through years of being abstinent, not happily, but white-knuckling abstinent because I was running my abstinent on self-will, not with my higher power's help whatsoever, not being recovered in these steps, but I, I um, controlled my eating. I was always on a diet, and then I would start out early with a, you know, eating on the weekends, and then the weekends turned into a Monday, and then the Monday turned into the next Friday, and then I was back in the food. And I thought I always thought I could control it, and I had such a the disease between my ears just, you know, really ran the show. And now my higher power is where who runs the show. That's the difference today because I don't try to control it anymore because I know I can't. Um, I, I I learned that I have a twofold illness and the solution is the steps. And you know I, as long as I know that this is the issue and the solution is the answer of the steps, I'm going to be okay. And as long as I let God run the show, otherwise I'm in big trouble and I will go back progressively even worse because the disease doesn't take a break from me, ever. Um, it's still out there waiting for me to screw up. And, um, you know, with my higher powers help, with this big book, with working the steps, living in the, the steps in 10, 11, and 12, I have a good good chance of staying recovered and being abstinent happily and contently. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry KB. So, Wendy M., you're next, and John K., you'll follow. Good morning, Wendy. Uh, yes, good morning. It's Wendy M. Uh, recovered gratefully in Colorado. Thank you, Ginger, for your service and everybody on the line this morning. Um, so the thing I first want to say is something I heard recently, which is the only thing I have to change is everything. And that's so true. It starts with the food, but then it's my behavior. It's my mind. It's my attitude. It's everything. I have to change everything. And that's what happens in this program. Um, and as someone said yesterday at a meeting, you know, if you like take a, a you know, take insulin for your diabetes, it's going to help your diabetes, but it doesn't give you a design for living. And this might be the only program that we have 
uh, in our culture, in our society that gives you a design for living. It tells me what to do when I'm not doing well. So first he says, no real employment for five years. And mercifully, no one could guess that. I've gone to parties and told people lies. I tell them that I work. I tell them what my job titles are um, because I feel so empty and alone and scared and ashamed that I'm not working that I make stuff up. I just tell people things like that because of the shame. And I really appreciate Bill's honesty and humility here. But he's just telling us exactly what his story is, exactly what happened. Um, you know, completely humbled, completely on his knees. Um, it's such a gift to me and to, I think, all of us to hear the truth, what it's really like for him, uh, not the way he wants to present it. And then liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Yeah, I, I had no choice. I had to get it in my mouth as quickly as possible. I had to eat. It was not a choice. I had to eat. Um, and as people say, you know, food is my master. And today, if you are struggling on the line, you know, entire abstinence, I always say this is so much easier than being in the food. Being in the food is exhausting. It's awful. It's awful. I did it for 50 some odd years. It's awful. And yes, a necessity. I had no choice. I had to put it in my mouth. Um, and I feel that way sometimes with the defects of character, like, they're not luxuries anymore. They're necessities. And woo, do I have to do my work and do those 10, 11, and 12 um, to work on that? And then finally, my favorite line here is, I still thought I could control the situation. Oh, man. And that just speaks to something I'm going through right now. I so want to control a certain situation. I'm so terrified um, that the outcome won't be good for me. You know, and it's stressful. It's exhausting. Um, I'm running the show, pages 60 to 63, you know. Um, it ain't working, you know, and God's like, Wendy, when are you going to stop, honey? Like, are you exhausted enough? Or do you need to continue to try to control the situation you're in right now? Um, you know, and, and all it is is playing God and not uh, asking God for help and not turning to God and giving the situation over to God. Um, you know, and that's, um, I, I got to tell you, I don't recommend controlling the situation, but, you know, sometimes we're in it, you know, we're just in it and we're in it. And then we have a meeting and, or we talk to a fellow, call a sponsor, do a 10 step and you go, oh man, this is just all about fear and self, right? I'm in major self when I'm trying to control the situation. Um, so I just really appreciated exactly how we wrote those words on this page. And that will, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy M. So, John K., you're next, and Janet B., you'll follow. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ginger. Thanks for your service. This is John Kiernan, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Los Angeles. <clears throat> you know that phrase that, that he has here, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. You know, I was thinking about how I think this realization is something that, that any addict can't come to in the moment. You know, they can only see it later looking backwards after the fact. You know, after you got recovery, because otherwise the the denial of the disease is just too powerful. You know, that's one of my diseases' most powerful weapons. You know, if I'd have been able to see what a puppet on a string I was, you know, I think it would have gotten me angry enough to realize that you know my disease was calling the shots in my life, not me. But you know, the disease is so refined that it convinces us that you know, yeah, we're in control. You know. So one of my favorite quotes is from F. Scott Fitzgerald. He says, uh, the man takes the drink, 
then the drink takes the drink, and then the drink takes the man. And and that was certainly true with me, both drink and with food. You know, the belief, you know, for me that I could get control of that eating, or soon I'd figure it out. And you know, the answer was right around the corner. You know, it was so strong that it it sort of blanked out my my otherwise logical brain. You know, but that's the insanity of this disease. You know, I love my favorite. Uh, definition of insanity that's per- pertinent to this disease, I think, is a state of mind that prevents normal perception. And, you know, that was it. You know, I had this great decision maker in all the other areas of my life. Uh, but in this ca- in case, my disease, uh, it, it didn't work. And, and the reason I, I look back now was that this great decision maker I have in my brain was being fed faulty data as a result of my disease, you know. And one of those most important pieces of faulty data is, you know, okay, I got this. I can handle this. Okay, now I see what I did wrong the last time. Now I know I got to tweak for the next time. And, of course, the next time would be just like the last time, you know. Or I would say, well, you know, I don't need this food. I just want it. No, in looking back, again, in retrospect, I needed it. You know, that urge was so overwhelming. You know, I had to run over any loved one to get what I needed, you know. And and today, that's that's what keeps it green for me to remember that I, what a puppet on a string I was, and today I'm not, you know. And I, I always say to newcomers, I say, you know, who do you want calling the shots in your life, you or your food, you know? And if the answer is you, go over to that table, get a copy of that blue book, and let's talk, you know, because that's what it's about to me. The key to, to recovery is surrender, total surrender, not negotiation, you know, and the trouble is my disease wants it to be negotiation, but, you know, as an old-timer here in L.A. always says, you can't negotiate with your disease. It'll always win and you will always lose. And the key for me was to come in, ask someone to be my sponsor, and then say to them, what should I do? And sit back and follow direction. You know, I had decades to do, make this work on my own. It didn't work. Maybe I need to let somebody else, and, you know, that's really made all the difference. And uh, with that, I hope to see a bunch of you at the OA birthday party. We have 120 visionaries coming now. And with that, I pass. Great. Thanks, John Kay. And Janet B. Yeah, hi. This is Jan- hi, this is Janet B. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, hi. I'm a recovered compulsive eater and bulimic in New Jersey. Um, and the line that um, just spoke to me this morning was when he said, mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. And I always thought that tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow will be the day I can stick to my food plan. I spent six and a half years in OA before I got any kind of recovery or abstinence at all. And I always thought um, I could do the pillow cure, eight hours with my head on the pillow, and I would wake up and have the power to do what I couldn't do yesterday. And for me, my recovery started when I just said one day, my today is going to be the same as yesterday, and my tomorrow is going to be the same as today, and so is next week and next year and every day, and there is nothing that I can do about it. I felt like I was on a runaway train with no brakes, and that was really my bottom. But even that didn't get me to stop because it's just like, I guess, if someone has cancer and they finally realize they have cancer, they're not going to get better just by saying, oh, okay, I have cancer. Now I'll make my cancer cells stop multiplying. And so I couldn't get better by just saying, okay, now I know I can't stop. 
Um, so, but it was at that point when I really realized nothing I could do would help that I was able to pick up the spiritual, pick up the um, spiritual tools left at my feet, which was basically to just work these steps and um, so that God could remove the obsession from me because on my own, I was on a runaway train with no brakes. And if someone hadn't stood up at an OA convention holding the big book saying she hadn't binged in a year and could show me how to do it. Um, I don't know where I would be today. So I'm just grateful for these steps and grateful for this book. Thank you. And with that, I pass. Great. Thanks, Janet B. So we have time for two more shares. Who would like to take us out today? Donna W. Donna W. And one more. Jordan L. Jordan L. Okay, great. Go, go, so go. Donna, we'll let you begin. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much, Donna. W, compulsive eater in Palo Alto, California. So gratefully recovered for today. And, uh, yeah, food seems to be a luxury. It became a necessity. That really jumped out to me. And I so appreciate everyone sharing their experience, strength, and hope today. Um, I was at a holiday party last night, and the um, you know there was a dessert table. And I could see that for some, the food was a luxury. You know, they're having a treat. And for some, it was a necessity. They had to, like, keep going back, and a new thing would arrive, and they'd jump up and have some of that. And... I was just so grateful that that, you know, isn't my story today because I would, you know, I, I would, uh, um, you know, it would become such a necessity. I would no longer be present at the party. So I'm just so grateful that, you know, that now, you know, program is a necessity, but it's also a luxury because I get to show up in my life um, and I get to, you know, be present during the holidays and feel all my feelings and, um, you know, write about them and work with my sponsor about them and not have to eat over them. So I'm really grateful for that today. And um, I just want to turn over. I'm, I'm recovering from a foot surgery. Um, I'm gratefully abstinent and recovered today, and I just need to keep leaning on God. Thanks so much, and would love your thoughts and prayers for my foot recovery. And with that, I pass. Great. Thanks, Donna. And Jordana L. Uh, did you say my name, Jordan? Jordan, I'm sorry. I didn't write it very well. Yes, Jordan, no, good morning. No, that's okay. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> my mom calls me that. Oh, <laughs> they're so cute. <laughs> um, anyway, my name's Jordan, or my name is Jordan L. Um, I'm a composer overeater. I live here in, uh, Silverthorne in Summit County in Colorado, um, and um, I was just listening today, and there were a lot of people that wanted to share. So I didn't think I was going to be able to, um, but I guess it was meant to be. Um, <clears throat> so Bill's story is like kind of this weird thing um, <clears throat> that I couldn't I couldn't relate to um, when I got sober in another 12-step recovery program eight years ago. Um, it was this weird foreign beast that <laughs> didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> um, yet I got sober anyway. Um, 
and then uh and my sobriety continued on and and I um awoke to a certain point and and then food um replaced alcohol probably in some respects worse than um than alcohol had ever brought me down um <clears throat> and uh and so when I read these words now out of Bill's story um I I relate to Bill's story more than I ever have now with the help of reading this book with a sponsor or like an interpreter, someone who can kind of walk me through the parts that I don't understand. Um, and, uh, and, and I hear that line, liquor ceased to be a, a luxury, it became a necessity. And I think back to two and a half months ago, when I wasn't abstinent and um, some people have already kind of shared it too. Like I was, I was living to eat and that was it. Um, That's all that there was in my sad little life um, was just consuming food. Um, And it's all I ever looked forward to and it's all I ever wanted to do. Um, And so I've, I feel blessed that the last two and a half months, um, my life has gotten a lot bigger very quickly, (laughs) um, which is pretty cool. Um, so anyway, that's all I got. I'll pass. Oh, perfect timing, Jordan. Thank you for your share. Uh, we are at the top of the hour. So thank you to everyone who shared to make this meeting possible this morning and a special shout out to team Monday. We will now close uh, with the reading on the big book, page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And i got to find my readers. Christine M., would you please read page 164? Our book is meant to be suggestive only through Keep You Until Then. Yes, this is Christine M., recovered in Missouri. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do for the man. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until